Roman oppressors and his Hebrew background. He wrote early, again, this is pure sort of scientific guesses, we don't know, uh, but around 55 AD, and of course, you remember uh, Jesus died in the, in the range of the mid-30s, 32 or so, uh, so this is, you know, 20 years after Christ um, died, the first gospel was written, the first history of Jesus. Now, again, from a biblical point of view, this is kind of exciting. Who was the last author before John? If John was the first author of the New Testament. A guy named... Come on, shout it. Malachi! <laughs> if you're Italian, Malachi, okay? Malachi. God hasn't had a prophet for 400 years uh, up to this point in history. Some of the epistles are actually very early on too, uh, but, but it's significant that now God is revealing new scripture. Why don't we call it the New Covenant or the New Testament, okay? Uh, onto the scene. Uh, what, what an amazing privilege to be one of those authors, uh, to be an author of, of the Word of God at all, and to be the one who sort of breaks the silence after uh, 400 years. What an amazing, beautiful, exciting, and uh, heavy weight of responsibility to be the one recording this history. Again, as I said, he's probably the first gospel to be written since all but 31 verses of Mark are found in the other three Gospels. Let's describe the book of Mark a little bit more. It'll start with no birth story. Uh, the other three actually have a birth story, but you won't find anything about the Nativity or Mary in Bethlehem. Uh, he's, he's sort of abrupt, and actually his Gospel sort of ends abruptly, too. Um, he just gets right into the story. In fact, chapter one is just packed with the um, history of Jesus. Um, already, uh, that wastes no time. It's action-packed, it's on the move, it's an action-packed, on-the-move presentation. And this seems to appeal uh, to his audience. He's presenting Christ is the Messiah who came to serve. Christ is presented as a man of action. In, in the book of Mark, you don't have the kind of long discussions or teaching periods. There's, those are in the other Gospels. Uh, like, as I said, John has a ton of them, and so does Mark, Matthew, and, and Luke. But Christ is the servant, the action man, and this seems to appeal to Romans. Uh, in, in many ways, I, I think Americans, we're in the Greco-Roman historical flow of history. We're kind of Greco-Roman, and I, I think our emphasis on utility Meaning, does this thing work? You know, if it doesn't work, it's worthless. Uh, we, we're interested in action. We're interested in, uh, I mean, look at our movie industries. Look at those, those action movies uh, all the young men like. I mean, they're exhausting within like four minutes, right? Too much has happened. Slow it down, you know? Can we just have a quiet conversation? You know, as I'm showing my age, right? Um, but we just like action. And part of that is our, our Roman heritage. I mean, the Romans built things. We're going 
build roads, we're going to build walls, we're going to build cities. Uh, and of course, a lot of their beauty is still there standing for us. And I think it's interesting that in this, this story of Mark, you find more miracles and exorcisms, you know, casting out demons. He's always going at that evil and conquering evil in, in short little bursts of amazing power. More than other books. And here's a quick outline. You know, it's so easy to outline because it's like three parts. Uh, the preparation of Jesus, the servant, and that's in chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. We're going to start on that uh, next week. And then the bulk of the middle of the book is that the Messiah, the, the message and ministry of Jesus, the servant. The message and ministry of Jesus, the, the servant. Uh, and that you see that goes right up almost to the end. And then the final part, the big section, is focused on the final passion, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, the servant. Now, again, I said let's talk a little bit about who Mark is. Um, and I'm almost getting to that. <laughs> First of all, I want to point out some key verses. These are awesome in the book of, of Mark. Where do we come up with this emphasis that Jesus is a servant? Well, again, it's a book of a lot of action. He's doing, he's serving the poor, helping the, the sick, the distressed people. He comes and saves them. And then he teaches his disciples this. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, the servant of all. Now, this is the call of Jesus to believers. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to make your life ambition to serve other people, uh, to, to dedicate yourself to finding out what's their issue, what's their problem, how can I help them? Uh, he exemplified that. Jesus exemplified that in his life, and he wants us to be others-oriented. You know, as church folks, you and I are in leadership of church, and we know that a lot of people say, well, uh, I'd like to go to church, but uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of it, you know? And sometimes that's okay. I mean, you should get something out of church. It should be encouraging. You should learn something, and you should worship uh, the Lord Jesus at church. But, you know, if that's your primary focus, I, I'm just here for what I can get out of it. I think you've missed this major teaching of Jesus. I want you to be the servant of all. I'm here to serve other people. And the Lord wants me to go to church because I'm going to be there to help other people, to serve them. Some people say, I don't want to go to church because I don't know anybody. Well, go to church and meet people. There's other people that need to get to know you too. Um, I think it's so important. And then the, the oh, the, there's a reference on that. Mark 9.35. And then a key passage I want to actually look up with you is this one here in Mark 10.45. Turn it because that's the conclusion for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. See, he's the servant. He didn't come to be served at this time. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But let's look at that uh, passage and that's verse 45. Um, it's, it's an interesting passage. Well, let's start at verse 35. Let's read a little bit of context with a bit of comment. Um, it says here, 
This is Mark 10, Mark 10 and 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> Just pause and think about that question. Or the, the statement, right? This demand. I mean, it's ludicrous, right? Jesus, uh, just one word, could you do whatever we ask? <laughs> Can you be our genie? Where, whatever, we have three wishes and you, you must do whatever we ask. Could you just sign this document <laughs> right now? Here, this blank check, we'll fill out the uh, dollars. Um, don't worry about filling out the dollars. We'll do that part. You just sign here. It's ludicrous. Do we have that same attitude about God? God, I come to you because I want you to do for me whatever I ask you to do. Um, but Jesus is forbearing, and he has a little statement for them here. He says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, Oh, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Both of those things, by the way, are referring to the crucifixion. Uh, he's about to drink the cup of the wrath of God for us, and is about to be doused with pain and suffering, and the wrath of God itself to be baptized, dunked completely into that. He says, are you really, really ready for that? And they said to him, oh, Lord, may the Lord forgive us, right? We are able. <laughs> sure, we got that one down. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, we human beings, huh? And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But you as my followers will suffer greatly when I suffer greatly. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, <laughs> the other guys, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The great teaching, these are the theme verses of the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be looking at that theme and thinking about it as we come along. And it, it challenges you and I right here and now. Uh, how are we serving the Lord? Are we living for him? Or to live for our own pleasure, our own desires? Are we, are we willing to look at service and say, well, I'm here to serve the Lord, and this is what he's called me to do, even when it's incredibly difficult, even when it's boring, 
even when I have to get up early to do it, uh, whatever it is, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do it. That's a great example. Okay, so let's, let's think more about the person Mark as we uh, wrap this up together. Who is this Mark fellow? Well, there's one interesting facet, you know, there's a lot of traditions and we don't know exactly for certain uh, that some of these things happened. For example, real quickly, no graphics on this, but apparently Mark was missing a finger, possibly a thumb. In fact, he was, like, there was this Greek nickname for him, you know, the, the thumbless guy uh, that's recorded. Uh, and, you know, we don't know exactly what that was about, but it's kind of interesting that he was somewhat impaired. Uh, when you go look at all the artwork, that, you know, even this one, they have all his fingers there. So apparently the artist didn't decide to record that. But one of the most interesting things is a lot of people think, if you look at Mark 14, Mark records this. Again, not, we're not certain, but in Mark 14, verse 51, it says this, uh, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. <laughs> it's a pretty exciting event. Uh, <laughs> again, funny little story. So a lot of people think, well, you know, Mark, maybe you're telling us that you were interested in Jesus at this early age, and, and you're that guy running off half naked or fully naked um, from the presence of Jesus. Well, how does Mark get to be uh, so important, though, in, in the history of the church and get to be the guy who um, writes this gospel? One little story sheds a little light. Go to Acts, and the book of Acts, and chapter 12. I have to go through this rather quickly because my time is uh, moving fast. But Acts 12 records the marvelous story of... Um, I shouldn't be so happy about it, saying a marvelous story, but it, it records a horrible story of how Herod, early on, kills the, uh, the apostle James. James is killed. James, the brother of John. Um, and he's, he's dead. And then he imprisons Peter. And Peter's in jail. And they put him, put him there, and look at verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now verse 6 of Acts 12. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, this is in other words, Herod's going to kill him just like he killed John, James, the brother of John. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. There's a lot of that Peter sleeping soundly uh, there in the prison, highly guarded, chained everywhere, guards all around him. So the angel has to strike him, hit him, uh, to wake him up. He's saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. Now, when an angel tells you to get up, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, do it, right? And something's happening. And he said, you know, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He 
He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, oh, now, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, this is our fellow, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. That's why we call him John Mark. So he goes to this house in Jerusalem. You know, I, I wondered as I was reading uh, the communion story, Oh, some people say that that guy carrying water was Mark. You know, I do all this research. I don't know if that's true or not, but they say that that guy who carried water on Jerusalem that day was Mark. So maybe Mark took him to his own house, and Mary had this big upper room. I don't know. A lot of speculation there. But that's not the real point, right? He, he goes to this house, the house of Mary. Not, this is not the mother of Jesus. This is another Mary, a very common name. The mother of John, whose other name is Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. <laughs> Did you love that? Wait a minute, no, we're praying for his release, you crazy girl, he can't be released. You know, we're praying and we believe God we're claiming it so he, you're crazy if you think our prayer is answered uh, kind of a to me wonderfully delicious funny uh, rendering of this story um, you're out of your mind uh, that is in verse 15 but she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying it is his angel but Peter continued knocking and when they opened they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place, etc., etc. So what's the point here? Well, we have this history of Peter with this intimate, close connection with the home of John Mark. And they're holding prayer meetings there. We believe actually they probably had a church there. And then a couple more references before we close. Look at 1 Peter 5.13. 1 Peter 5.13. Here we have this. This Peter saying this. He's, he's writing from Rome, and he's going to use a code word for Rome. He calls it Babylon. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, that's the church, we're elect, we're chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. That's an amazing piece of evidence. What we have here is Peter saying, Mark is my son. He's not his real son. He wasn't married to Mary. He's talking about it in a spiritual sense. He had been the one, probably, to lead Mark to faith in Christ to begin with. And he, he had developed a relationship with Mark. And to the point where uh, Mark became a very close associate with Peter later on. But something exciting is going to happen in the life of Mark. Uh, and I, I promise you we'll have it done in five minutes or so. 
Um, somehow, we don't know all the connections here, but somewhat later, Mark is in a, a very important church in Antioch, and this is recorded in Acts 13. And this church of Antioch decides that that's what happens is God tells them, literally tells them, you guys, I want you to send out Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. This is the very first missionary motion. Uh, they're gonna, these guys are going to carry the gospel off to the Gentiles. And they take Mark with them. Uh, Mark is with them. And honestly, I'm not overstating the case. This is kind of like being on Apollo 11 crew. It's, I would say it's actually even more important than more exciting. I mean, it's so amazing. Are you kidding me? We're going to the moon and I get to tag along with you? Um, you know, maybe maybe uh, Armstrong and Aldrin get to walk on the moon, but Mark got the, you know, he got to drive the taxi at least, you know. <laughs> but that other guy. <laughs> um, honestly, it's super exciting. It's super privileged, right? But, you know, something happened. Uh, we don't know exactly what, but Mark, uh, early on in the journey, after a couple of really strong interactions with the local folks, there was some really, like fireworks going on, he decided it wasn't for him, he took off. So he took an exit and went back home. Now, again, again, we fill in the blanks, we don't know exactly what happened, but again, somewhat later, it comes time again to go on another missionary journey, and Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go. Um, and uh, Barnabas says, yeah, yeah, let's, let's take Mark. Let's take Mark again. And Paul refuses at this point. Um, and he actually, this is how it's recorded in Acts 15, 37-39. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So Paul said, listen, there's no way of taking that guy again with me. He let us down last time, not worth the risk. We can't take him with us. And I think it's, it's a real shame for Mark here. If I were Mark, I'd feel horrible. Uh, here's the most important guy in Christendom, probably, uh, Paul rejecting him and saying, no, you know, your, your application, you're not accepted. You know, we don't want you here. We don't trust you. You have a bad track record. Track record. And this is this beautiful thing, though. What does he do? You know, does he decide that he's worthless? That he can't be used anymore? That he's set aside? He's just filled with shame? He should climb under a rock somewhere? No, no, not at all. It's beautiful. He did not give up. How do we know that? He has to write the gospel. <laughs> He's got something huge to do for God. Um, he probably went to Rome. It's actually a good piece of advice. Uh, if, if you're living in a difficult situation in one area, uh, he needed a change of scenery. He went to Rome, most probably, and there probably connected up with Peter. Uh, and here is an actual evidence of this. Um, this is written by a guy named Papias, who was born in 70 AD. He was an early church father, and he actually was, he personally knew John, the Apostle John, and he, he wrote a book about the Lord's sayings, this guy Papias, and this is what he says about Mark. Mark, being the interpreter of Peter, 
Whatsoever he remembered, he wrote accurately. But not, however, in the order that these things were spoken or done by our Lord. He says, don't look for a strict chronology when you read Mark. But what he wrote, he wrote accurately. Um, for he neither heard the Lord nor followed him, but afterwards, as I said, he was with Peter, who did not make a complete or ordered account of the Lord's sayings, but constructed his teachings according to a concise, self-contained teachings. So Mark did nothing wrong in writing down single matters as he remembered them, for he gave special attention to one thing, and then he lists two things, but you know, whatever. <laughs> special attention to one thing, of not passing by anything he heard, and not falsifying anything in these matters. So that's Papias, a first-generation um, witness to the restoration of, of Peter. He, he wrote this gospel that we have before us. So, so again, I think if we're looking for you know, good life lessons today to take away from this is think about um, Mark, John Mark. He had he had so much going for him, so much promise. He's you know he's on the lunar team to go out and do this first thing, and it just didn't work for him. He ended up quitting, making the main leader of that expedition angry at him to the point where he was rejected. But God had a plan for him, and he was restored. God is a God of restoration, and this is the beautiful glory of the gospel. We, we all fail. We all fail, and we all we have shameful things in our past, and maybe not too distant past. You know, maybe this morning, for example. That, that's what we emphasize. There's forgiveness of sins with Jesus. He died because I'm a sinner. He died because I need restoration. Uh, and I'd like to, like to close with uh, First Peter, who was the man who emphasized and uh, impacted Mark so much. So if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, let me read a little bit here for us. Just a few words about restoration. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Wild cats are actually rampant in uh, the state of California, for example. Um, and one thing you don't want to do is look weak or to uh, you know walk slowly. You want to stand up strong and be big and, and resist them. Uh, Satan is looking for people who are you know, wounded and feeling sorry for themselves or weakened in some way. He's looking for someone to devour. And you're weak when you are feeling uh, humiliated and sorry for yourself. So it says, be sober. And instead of that, you, you resist him. Firm in your faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. He's the mighty Savior. He said, it's almost done. You just have to do a little bit more, and then you'll be saved. That's not what he said, right? He said, it is finished. That's the cry of victory. Our salvation is finished in Christ. That's our faith, uh, O Satan. 
Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And it's another lie Satan whispers in your ear. Nobody's going through this. You're, you're, you're alone. No one has suffered this way before. You are suffering more than anybody. And then, no, no, everybody's suffering in the same way. We're all sinners. And we all need grace and forgiveness and restoration. Okay, um, reading this bit here, it says, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, Peter himself experienced this in the most profound way, remember? Uh, remember, there were two guys that did a horrible, horrible thing around the crucifixion of Christ. One was Judas, uh, and he just went off in guilt and shame and, and committed suicide, killed himself. Peter denied Christ with, with curse words, publicly, huge shame. But he sought forgiveness. He, he sought restoration. And he says, I've experienced restoration. restoration. Mark experienced restoration. You can be restored as well. God is into recycling. You know? <laughs> He's not into putting you in the landfill. Uh, he wants to redeem you uh, from your sin. So confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thus starts our study of Mark. We'll get into it more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that uh, we have even the record of this guy, Papias, that Mark told the truth about Jesus. And uh, he may not have done it in the exact chronology, but what he said was absolutely true. And he, he didn't get it from himself. He got it from Peter. And he got connected with Peter by reconnecting with old relationships. After failure, he didn't isolate himself, but reconnected, came together, and, and uh, probably sought out Peter. Somehow he brought them together so that, he, that Mark could become the assistant to Peter and listen to all his teachings and all his sermons and record the truth uh, for us. Be praising you for this great plan. And help us to be a part of your plan to restore us again, we pray. Strengthen us, confirm us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.